Hello and welcome to another edition of the podcast. I'm your host Raj Menon. In this podcast, you will meet some interesting people and hear some stories and anecdotes from their lives. You might gain some insights, get some inspiration as you hear about plans, dreams, transformation, and even some serendipity. But above all, you'll always hear some good old-fashioned conversation. My guest today is Bhavani Parmar, who is an electrical engineer from Rochester Institute of Technology and has a law degree from the University of New Hampshire School of Law. And she calls herself an experienced general counsel and tech-savvy business advisor. Welcome, Bhavani. Thank you. It's good to be here, Raj. It's good to have you. Uh, is that a good description? experienced general counsel and tech-savvy business advisor, or you just haven't updated your LinkedIn profile in a while? No, it's a good, it's a good description, but when you read it back to me, I thought, wow, that, is that really me? (laughs) 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 But yeah, that that, being accurate. You're you're that and much more. So uh, thank you for, once again, for for agreeing to be here. Um, I, as we talked, I want to talk about, um, uh, your the some of the transitions in your life, and so uh, let's 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 begin chronologically uh, for no other reason uh, other than it makes it makes it easy. So uh, so talk to me about your family and how they moved from Zambia to the U.S. and so on. Well. Um, from what I understand, it was my grandfather on my my maternal grandfather that moved from India to Zambia, which at the time was Rhodesia. And he settled there. And when my mom got married, my dad was called over there or thought it would be a good opportunity to move to Zambia at the time then. So he did. And he moved there. And they were there for three years. And during that time, I was born there. And then my family, including my grandfather, immigrated to the U.S. in 1978. And my brother was born here in Daytona Beach, Florida. And Hmm. then we stayed in Florida for a couple of months until we moved to California, where um, my dad started his career as a mechanical engineer with Johnson Controls in San Francisco. Oh, I see. So do you remember um, things about Florida? You know, that's where my grandparents settled. So almost every summer when we were children, uh, my brother and I would spend our summers in Florida. So I remember Florida. I remember Daytona Beach. My um, grandparents had a little hotel on the beach there. And I remember swimming in their swimming pool and watching planes go by as my grandmother was trying to feed me. But that's about wow. the extent of my my memory, early memories there. But certainly a lot of memories growing up and going to Florida to visit with family and my brother, my mom's brothers, and they all lived in Florida for many years. Okay, but yeah, but your your childhood growing up memories are more in California. You know, I didn't. I didn't recall or I didn't remember uh, this this California bit. I always 
pictured you as a as a northeast person um but uh but so so i guess what what part of tell me about the california life so we we moved to california in a little town called not little town it's actually a pretty big town called hayward california and um you know it was a happy childhood i learned how to ice skate in a place called southland mall um I ran the 100-yard dash in Chabot College and still have the certificate. I came in third place, so I'm very wow. excited about that. I was probably eight years old. Who knows? But <laughs> um, And then, you know, you know my, my dad was working for Johnson Controls, and he was going overseas a lot to Saudi Arabia, and he would be there for two, three months at a time. And my mom, you know, raising two little children in California by herself – you know, new new immigrant, um, no close family, very close by, although we did have some extended family in the area. And she didn't know how to drive. Um, and so it was very challenging for her. And so my dad one day decided to to change jobs, and he started working for a company called Bechtel International. And yeah. a couple of years into it, he moved – he had an opportunity to – head up um, the, the nuclear power engineering division of Limit Power Plant in Pennsylvania. They were building a brand new nuclear power plant. In fact, it was the last nuclear power plant, I believe, that was uh, built in the U.S. And in so the he US, was yeah. a critical. Yeah. And so that's why we moved to Pennsylvania when I was in the fifth. It, I think I moved there in the fourth grade and started my fifth grade in Pennsylvania. And oh, that was the first time I saw snow when I moved there a couple months in. I'm sorry, that was the first time what? That I, I saw snow. Oh, you saw snow for the first time. Oh, okay. I okay. Did. Interesting. So that's 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 uh that's pretty hardcore engineering, uh, you know, between Johnson Controls and Bechtel. Uh I, I'm very familiar with Bechtel and and uh, you know, nuclear power engineering. So um uh, did you did you hear a lot about about engineering from your dad as you were growing up? Oh yes, you know he was one of seven brothers. All of them were basically in the finance and accounting or business fields, and he was the only engineer. And so yeah, I mean we would we would go on field trips to the Limerick power plant around there to, and he would tell us about the cooling towers and what he did there. Um, Certainly, engineering was a big part of our life, or learning hmm. about engineering is very accessible. Okay, okay, and and do you do you do you remember uh, those 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 stories, or you know, do you remember what your take was on it? I mean, were you were you excited? Were you bored? I guess you were always excited with your dad telling you a story. Yeah, um, but you know, I always sort of thought I'd be in the medical field until about maybe 10th grade when I shadowed a doctor. It was our family mm. physician who let me spend the day with him. And I just felt that I, you know, spending the day with him was fascinating. It was really interesting. It was what I thought it would be. The only thing I learned from shadowing that was shocking or surprising to me was that, you know, you, you really have to get to know your patients. And I don't know if I could emotionally connect, disconnect myself from that type of situation. You know, every mm. Sunday, my dad would drive me about 20 to 30 minutes to 
um, be a, a candy striper at a local hospital too. And so that was another eye-opening experience that, yeah, you know, sure medicine is a profession, but there's a lot of emotion and mm. I don't know if I could disconnect myself from that. So I think maybe in the 11th grade, I decided, you know, maybe going into medicine just isn't my thing. And, Wait. Um, so why why was it why was it about medicine in the first place? How did you how did you think about that? Well, you know, in high school, I was taking AP Biology, AP Chemistry, and mm. it just seemed like a natural fit to me. I always, in my head, hated math. I don't know why, but I mm. always did. Not that I wasn't good at it. In fact, I had actually exhausted all the math courses at my high school. And in my mm. senior year, I was I went to a local college to take math courses to get college credit. And mm. so um, apparently I was good at math. I just didn't think I was good at math. And so um, oh, wait. I always had you, an aversion. You said you, said you, hated, you said you hated math, and then you said you didn't think you were good at it. Which one is true, both? I think both. I just had this aversion to math, but I was good at it. <laughs> I'm okay. not sure how that happened. Maybe it was so just you in got, my head. I don't know. So you got good grades and stuff. I did. I was on top of my class, but certainly I did well in 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 the math and physics arena. Yeah, okay. I did. In biology and biology and chemistry. A lot of times when people are good at something, they they typically like it. Uh, it's I haven't heard a lot of stories about people that are good at something and they don't like it. So that's that, that's 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 I think that's kind of astute for you to parse that out that, you know, even though you're good at it or you can decent grades, you know, you're, you didn't, you didn't really like it. So. Yeah. And then I, I think it came full circle when I went to law school, then I really appreciated math and engineering because there was always a right answer or a process mm, to get mm. to the right answer. And then mm. in law school, everything turned on its head. There, there wasn't a formula. There wasn't a process. There may have been a process, but it wasn't formulaic or equation-based. And so I had to kind of rethink things again. So I, I guess so, that was so, a work in progress. So going back going back to uh, the move from California to Pennsylvania, you know, you were in fourth grade. Do you remember much about that move? I mean, how was that? I do remember it. You know, Hayward was a very diverse town, um, a lot of Asian immigrants, just very di diverse. And then when mm -hmm. we moved to Pennsylvania, it was not rural, but it was certainly in between suburbs and rural. It was still growing. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't very diverse. And the diversity that was there really had to, was centered around at the time, the nuclear power plant, because all the talent that was needed to build that place moved in and typically that talent was very diverse. And so people in school who were of a diverse background were people somehow connected to the power plant. So mm -hmm. it was, a, I remember thinking, okay, this is very different. People look different here in Pennsylvania. You know, it, there's a lot of land in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. It smells like farmland in Pennsylvania. Like it didn't, that's what I remember as a child. The school mm. was great. I loved my elementary school. I may have come there in my fifth grade, but that was the last year of elementary school. And I remember I was right. like voted in the chief of, um, we had a safety program, a 
mm. student safety program. And so I was the the top person in the, the safety program. And so I had like the belt and had people that had to report to me in the morning and we organized the lines getting into class. And that was really cool. And I remember mm. um, the principal had started something called, you know, have lunch with the principal if you were voted safety of the month. And so yeah. I was the first safety of the month. And so I got to have lunch with him, which was pretty cool. And I remember he took me to um, my my elementary school was in a very small town called Spring City, Pennsylvania. And Spring City, Pennsylvania had still relics of, um, you know, when you, when, in the olden days when people would take their horses into downtown, you had to tie the horses to something. I forget what they're called. But those those anchors were still those little in, stakes in the ground. Yeah. The, yeah. They were still there. And he, I remember he was telling me the story about spring city and how the railroad would come down this way and the railway tracks are still there. The railway station's still there. And then he would tell me, he told me some story about, I remember the details, some story about the horses. And then he pointed out the stakes and it was a really interesting lunch. And I felt, wow. Okay. So I've moved to this new town I've just had lunch with the principal, you know, I'm having a pretty good time here. And then I had to move to middle school, which was a different thing. Now five mm. different schools were funneled into the middle school. And now I wasn't part of the small group where I was head of my game, head of my class. Now it was a little bit more challenging because there were p- people from other schools funneling in. So mm-hmm. I, I remember that transition too. And, mm, mm, um, mm. Interesting. So, yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Uh, I'm interested. But, uh, you know, before we move on, so 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 it sounds like the the transition from uh, California to Pennsylvania was actually pretty smooth for you. Uh, you know, be, even it though was. it was fifth grade, you didn't you were was that because you were pretty social and, uh, uh, you know, you blended in very easily and and so forth and. I, mean, did that... I don't know because when I when I look back, I don't think of myself as a very social person. I think mm. I was more on the introvert side. Mm. But it, when looking back at it now, you wouldn't have been voted safety of the month or been right. put in charge if you weren't more of, of an introvert. So I, I I don't know. I wish I could maybe find somebody from that time and kind of ask them what ask the question. Yeah, I, w- I would love to know. Maybe I should ask my did, mom. I'll ask my mom next. Did you? Did you? Did you? Um, did, did you actually run for election? No, it was the, you, the okay. It was just the selection. Voted. Okay, people yeah, just teachers. voted for whoever they wanted. Oh, teachers voted. Yeah, yeah. Oh, teachers voted. Okay, okay, okay. I see. Ah, okay, that's interesting. So, so at that point, I'm curious. Uh, you know, you. Um, and I'm. Uh, I'm sorry, but was it you said was 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 that still Rhodesia at that point, or was it already Zambia? Zambia, it was definitely Zambia. Zambia it was it already point. Zambia by then. Okay, so did you think of yourself as an Indian or a Rhodesian or Zambian or a Californian or an American? How did you think about yourself, or did you? That's a great question. I don't remember having those thoughts i know i held an indian passport my mm. mom oh, had a okay. british passport my mm. dad had an indian pass 
passport and my brother had an American passport. He was a U.S. citizen. So, Mm. you know, my mom had a British passport. My dad had an Indian and I had an Indian passport. And I didn't become a citizen until I was in college. Only I just never applied for it. So I don't, I think I always thought of myself as just Bogany. I don't know if Mm. I had... No, I I don't think I thought of myself as a particular so race what about, what about, or no. what about your family? Your family thought of themselves as Indian, I'm sure, right? Most definitely, but I think the philosophy in our in our house was always, you know, you you, you live in America, you buy an American car, you 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 know you you you've adopted your own country, so this is this is mm. who we are now. Of course, you have the Indian heritage, but mm. I think you describe yourself as an American first since you're living here. And that probably had to do with the fact that for two generations, my family were outside of India, you know, my grandfather at least. And so he always mm. adopted that philosophy too. You know, you are a member of the society that you're living in. So if you're mm. in Zambia, you're a Zambian. I think that's where it came from, but I'm not sure. It's a good question. So did you um no you know I know your grandfather moved with you and he, he you know to Florida and then you visited him you know every summer uh um probably phone calls weren't as frequent back then I assume um you know but uh when you do do you remember having conversations with your grandfather about uh, about his you know back in the early days and you may have had them later but you know, uh, back then, but did he tell stories about moving from India or moving to the U.S.? Do you remember any of those? I don't remember those in particular. What I do remember is he used to travel to Czechoslovakia and different hmm. parts of Europe for his business. And so he would tell us stories about that. I do hmm. remember thinking he's the coolest man alive because he had one of those sneaker tr- stores before Foot Locker and those ever were in existence called the Sneaker Tree. And so I just thought he was really cool. Yeah. He had, um, he actually had Shaquille O'Neal's shoe in his store, um, which was huge. I know. It was like the biggest (laughs) shoe I'd ever seen in my entire life. Um, And he also had a dry cleaning business at one point, but I think he transitioned into the the shoe business. But I always thought that was really cool because I didn't know anyone else who had a shoe Mm. store. He, he did. Well, wait, you, you also mentioned the hotel. So I, I assume he was also running, was he also running a hotel? Or when you said you stayed in the hotel and, and swam in the pool, was that yeah, just so that a, was just early on. Oh, okay. No, no, not at all. So that was early on. He, he must have sold that sometime during my childhood. I don't know what year. And then okay. he moved to Orlando from the beachside area. And in Orlando, okay. that's when he opened up the dry cleaning and the shoe store eventually. So he was a serial entrepreneur, as you would call him today, right? Oh, yeah. Just going from one thing to another. He had a business, a flourishing business in in Zambia as well. Mm. Yeah. In fact, uh, the one story that I I recently learned of, probably right before he passed away a couple years ago, was his first big score business-wise on his own was somewhere in Europe, it may have been Czechoslovakia, where he scored a big 
um, deal for matchboxes. And so he was mm. importing matchboxes into Zambia. Wow. Hmm. Who knew? Yeah, who knew? So, but but uh, did, did you hear stories? Uh, did you hear your parents talk much about uh, the old life, either in India, your mom, so now has moved from India to Zambia um, and to Florida and then California. So did you hear her talk about moving or was it just uh, all in the wake of, I mean, in the, you know, you took that in stride kind of thing. I don't remember a lot. I do remember some stories where she would kind of reminisce and say, you know, we always thought, you know, she'd hear stories about living, quote, unquote, in America. And mm-hmm. one of the stories that she used to tell was that she had heard that in America, you can put an entire eggplant down the sink and then it disappears. Hmm. And hmm. what that was, was a garbage disposal. But right. <laughs> it was this magical story that she had held on to for a very long time. Hmm. Um, the other story that I always remember fondly is when we lived in Hayward, California, across the street from us was a woman named Mrs. Susan Kwan. And Susie Kwan was an amazing lady. She taught me how to tie my shoelaces. She took me to McDonald's for my first cheeseburger. She taught my mom how to drive. Um, She was a great neighbor. And it was, I think, 2008 or seven. We had gone to California for a family wedding and decided, let's go to our old neighborhood to see if Susie Kwan is still there. She was, but she wasn't home. Um, I would have loved to have seen her. But stories like that is, is, are things that I remember that my mom would say that Susie Kwan was a, a really good neighbor and really taught her a lot and mm. was very supportive, especially when my dad was traveling to Saudi Arabia a lot. And it sounds like Susie Kwan was an immigrant, probably herself. Probably, um, I not. don't know much about her. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, okay. So, were there a lot of Indian families in your neighborhood or in your area? No. Hayward, you said was no. pretty diverse, but. No, not a lot of Indian families. There was one Gujarati family that lived maybe I don't know four or five blocks away from us, and there was an older gentleman that kind of took my mom under her his wing and mm-hmm. would look in on us when my dad was away. And mm-hmm. we're still very close to his, his sons and his daughter-in-laws that have since moved to different places. In fact, one now lives in Plano, Texas, but um, really is a great, yeah, she, she lived there and you know, she was a, a good resource to have when I was in Dallas too. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Great neighborhood, you know, long-term relationships with people that, I guess, also were immigrants that kind of helped us out in different ways, and we built mm. a community from that. Mm. So, um, so let's move on to middle school, and you said the middle school transition was not as easy, which is fairly typical, uh, because you know that's big. That's the big leagues all of a sudden, and you've got multiple kids coming in. But were there was there anything um, especially unique about your middle school or your experience? <laughs> well, one story kind of um, stands out for me, and I, I've told this to multiple friends a lot along the years. But 
so in, in elementary school, I played the clarinet. And mm. in my elementary school, I was, you know, first, I forget what it was called, first section, first place or something like that. So I was like first the, chair. First chair. First chair. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I was really good at it. I, I, I felt like I was good at it, too. And so then when you get into your middle school. Trumpet. You're tuning your own planet. Okay. Well, don't loud. worry though. It, this this story goes south pretty quickly. So <laughs> I um in sixth grade, beginning start of middle school, you had to try out for band, and so I did, and I wasn't put in first chair anymore. I was maybe third chair or fourth chair, oh, and boy. I quit. I just, <laughs> I don't know why. But mm. there was this one person, I'm not going to mention her name, but um, those who are my friends know who she, her name well because I've said it many times. She was sort of my nemesis, and she got first mm. chair, and she was first person in field hockey and first person in lacrosse, and she was just, like, the smartest girl and so pretty and everything. But anyways, I quit because she got first chair, and it's something I regret for the rest of my life. I really? regretted Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So you you quit clarinet totally. Okay. I did. All right. So did. uh um and and so did the did the did the uh did the diversity of the middle school significantly change from high school and did that impact in any way? Did you have yeah, a lot so of uh, immigrant students or Indian families or uh you know so on in your school or what was the makeup like? No, I think my class maybe had three people of color. Oh, really? Okay. Out of the three, two were of Indian origin. Mm. Um, so, no, not a lot of diversity. Now, as the years went along, you know, a few more trickled in because because of the power plant. Mm. Now, this whole area along the highway where we that went from to Philadelphia, essentially, that area started developing. So big pharmaceutical companies were, were, were building headquarters and things like that nearby. And so mm. there was a big influx of, of people coming in toward my latter years of high school. And that's when it started to get a little bit more diverse. Mm. Now you said people of color. Was that, you know, part of the language, a part of your language at the time, you know, you had moved from Africa, you know, was that, was that commonly, did that come up a lot? In, either in your no. family or in school or in, you know. No, it didn't. You know, and the, the, it's weird. The the first time I realized that I wasn't mm-hmm. part of the majority was probably in college. Really? I okay. never felt that way in high school at all. Mm-hmm. I I was just That's one cool. of the That's great. kids. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have, you know, you talked to my brother and his experience was very different. He remembers that the local headquarters of the KKK was 20 minutes from our high school. I don't remember. Oh, that. wow. I, okay. You know, he says it was, and he's only three years behind me. So mm-hmm. it's interesting. His perspective is very different from mine. He said we had a lot of quote unquote skinheads in our, in our school. Mm. I don't remember that at all. Um, mm. I don't know. Maybe I was just oblivious to it. Naive. Mm. I, I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Three years. You wonder, uh, probably it's, it's, it's probably the gender 
difference in the in the kinds of conversation that young boys and young girls have or you know uh, or maybe the circles that he moved in versus the circles that you moved in perhaps were different perhaps yeah i, I mm. don't know we had that conversation not too long ago and yeah his memory of our high school is very different from my memory hmm. so so you said you first heard the term a person of color or people of color when you went to college. Yeah, that, I think that's was right. That a, um, was that a memorable incident or was it in general you're thinking, you know, that's when you heard stuff? No, I, I think that's probably when I first became aware of it mm. or maybe, you know, if, it, if I was naive about it before, I certainly was not as naive in, in college. Mm. And I think that's because well, now I looked around my college classes and the campus and dorms, and there were lots of people of color and lots of Indian people as well. Mm. And so I I started to perhaps maybe lean more into that part of me mm. where, you know, I became the, the cultural secretary of what the, what's called Oasis on campus, which is, mm-hmm. you know, a, a South Asian student group. We started it up. I was one of the founding members, and I kind of pushed myself into that. I don't want to say bucket, but I pushed myself mm-hmm. into maybe recognizing more of that identity in myself. Mm-hmm. And it was a positive experience, but I feel like I was disappointed at the same time. Like I, I, I never felt. Um, that way in high school that I did in college. I, I felt like I was always trying to, I don't want to say fit in because I, I don't think that's the right description of it, but I, I can't think of how else to describe it. But it was harder to, to, to fit to in, blend in in college. To blend okay. in, maybe that's the right word. Yeah, mm, I think that mm. describes it much better. Because um, my first year in college, I lived in the dorm and I lived in part a specialized dorm called the engineering house mm-hmm. and that was only for engineers mm-hmm. and it was all boys except for one two three four five six girls or something like that really and yes and, out, of, um, out of out of how many out of like 300 something like that um let me think we were probably two floors so i would say about 50 of us were in engineering house at the time Oh, 50. Okay, so six girls out of 50. Five zero. And yeah, and and was... and 50 were were all the engineers at at um at the at the college. You know, just first no. year or or. No, so engineering house was just a special dormitory for those that okay. wanted to be part of what's called engineering house. So sort of like mm-hmm. yeah, you know, you have your fraternities and your sororities. Engineering mm-hmm. house was a loosely based. I don't want to say club, but group of people that you would apply to and you got in. Um, And and it wasn't through like hazing or anything. It was just during the application process for the college itself. You Mm -hmm. applied to get into the dorm. And so I was one of six girls that lived in the dormitory in this engineering house dormitory. And Mm -hmm. it was maybe two floors out of a big dormitory building on the east side or west side, one of those so it was mm. relatively small, but, you know, we we sort of had lunches together. We would have, 
you know, cult- cultural and social activities. It was a very loosely based group of people, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And and um, so the the I guess the the girls stuck with each other because you were only six, probably. So that was that was a you you guys were a group, I assume, or you were we friendly. Did. We did mostly my friends. I I always had better friendships with men than I did with girls or Mm -hmm. men and women. So Mm -hmm. I don't remember just hanging out with the girls at at Mm. Mary's house. It was always more of a mixed group or just Mm. the boys. So, so when you, so you didn't, you didn't get into Rochester uh, as an international student or because you, you said you weren't in, you weren't a U.S. citizen at the time. Um, when, when did you when did you decide and why did you decide to become a U.S. citizen? Was that something that you were always going to do and you just hadn't done it, um, or was that was was there something else? No, not at all. So it's exactly what you said. I just we just never did the paperwork. Um, okay. I, I had a green card. There was no reason to do it. I was a permanent resident, mm-hmm. and at mm-hmm. the time, you know, when I held the Indian passport. They were talking about, and this is the early 90s, very early 90s. Mm-hmm. They were talking about mm-hmm. maybe a dual citizenship with India and U.S., and yes. that never went through. Mm-hmm. And so we, my, both my dad and I were holding out until that point. And then uh, I don't remember if it was 93 or 94. Probably 94 is when I became a U.S. citizen. Because I, I remember one of the interview questions was, who was the president? And Mm. It was Bill Clinton. That was the only mm. question he asked me, and then we talked about school, and that was it. That was my interview. Mm. Mm. Okay. And you were you were in college, and he was asking you who was the president. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty funny. I mean, he obviously knew my English was fine. He, I don't. Sure. You know, so I, I walked in, and that's all he asked me. Got it. I thought mm. he, I had studied for it, so <laughs> I don't know. So, so what? I mean, was that was that a, was that a how big a deal was that when you actually um, turned uh, into a U.S. citizen? Was that a big deal? Or, uh, again, was that just yeah normal course of things? It wasn't really for me. Mm. I think my dad also became a citizen around the same time, a little bit after I did. And mm. I think it was more stress not stressful, it was more meaningful to him mm-hmm. than it was for mm-hmm. me. For me, it was just it's just paperwork. It didn't mm-hmm. mean much to mm-hmm. me. I already felt like a U.S. Mm-hmm. American person. May not have been that on paper, but right. you know, I was a permanent resident all these years. So yeah, so you 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 felt every bit American, except you weren't officially, you know, a citizen. But you you basically had an American identity. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I think that's right. And and so 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 you don't remember discussions about your brother and your you and your mom your dad having a different citizenship and and uh, you know even any any conversations around that in the family. No, um, it was just a non non thing. It was, it was the only thing I remember, and this is very superficial, not not for me, uh, superficial for me, but not for my mom. Mm-hmm. 
she mm-hmm. would say that I was born in Africa and it was a torture getting <laughs> having a baby in Africa, whereas mm. it was like being in a country club in Daytona Beach for my brother. So mm. that was mm. what was a, I still remember that when she mm. not when she said it, but that that story that what a stark difference. And so for me, it was more well, my brother always had it easier than I did because, well, he was born in Daytona Beach, right? So did your mom never become a U.S. citizen? She did. She became a citizen, I think, before I did because she had to give up her British passport. So she became first, then I did, then my dad. Oh, I see. Okay, okay, okay. Hmm, okay. Okay, interesting. And so, uh, so then you you know, you, you go through engineering school, you know, being, being a minority, gender minority, obviously, as most engineering schools tend to be even now. Um, and, and how was, you know, how was that? So when you, when you finished, tell me about what what you decided to do career wise when you finished. So at the time, RIT was a five-year quarterly-based school. So it was very fast-paced, didn't have semesters, it was quarterly-based. And out of those five years, you had to have five quarters worth of co-op experience in order to graduate. Mm -hmm. And I took those co-op experiences pretty seriously. And... Um, I had gotten a co-op position at a power engineering company in Allentown, Pennsylvania, which was a great mm-hmm. experience. I got to work from, get to stay at home and work, go to school, go to that workplace for a while. Mm-hmm. And I also did a co-op experience at an RF engineering company in Rochester, New York. And that was a phenomenal experience. I had a manager named Bill who had so much confidence in me. I I still don't know, looking back, why he did, but he did. And um, he put me in position as an engineering student that was a lot of responsibility, a lot of learning, and he really put that trust in me. And to this day, I still have very fond memories of him. I haven't talked to him in a couple years, but um, he's great. And so this was as an I, This was as a co-op, yes. And then as I co-op. worked there yeah, yeah. part-time. Yeah, because it was right next door to where I lived, too, the, the mm-hmm. laboratory. And so I was very fortunate that I could either rollerblade or ride a bike or um, mm-hmm. walk to this place. And so mm-hmm. it was great. And so I really thought I would, I would end up being an RF engineer or compliance engineer because of um, the experience I had at Bill's company. Mm. And he even offered me a permanent position, and I didn't take it because I I told him I was going to law school, and till this day, he's still baffled about it. (laughs) Mm, So, yeah, that's how that happened. Why did you decide to go to law school? How, you know, was that always in the works did you always think about that when through engineering that eventually you'd go to law school or oh okay no absolutely not um i yeah i enjoyed engineering i i enjoyed my experience there 
something. You know, I wasn't the top student at the school, but, you know, I, I enjoyed the entire experience. And I had a very good advisor named Dr. Unikrishnan. And Dr. Unikrishnan and I had a pretty good relationship. And, you know, he sat down with me. I can't remember if it was my third or fourth year in. And we were talking about, well, what's going to happen after you finish here? I said, well, I, I don't know. Maybe I'll stay and do my master's or do an MBA or do something. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to start working. You know, I have this opportunity at E&I Corporation and Bill's a great mentor. I could do that. And I can't remember if he's the one that suggested it or someone else did. I, I want to believe that he did. But he Someone had suggested, well, he really wanted to, the, the department wanted to kind of diversify what their students were doing after they graduated. And either someone in the department or him had suggested law school. And I was hmm. baffled by that. I, I thought, wow, I must have really done something horrible here that they're trying to get me out of the profession of engineering. <laughs> <laughs> and, um so my mom and I, we drove to a small law school in New Hampshire that specialized in training scientists and engineers to become lawyers. And they were the, the, the top three or top four um, premier intellectual property programs in the country. They were the first in the country, but then, you know, Stanford and those people took over pretty quick once they started offering it. It's called Franklin Pierce Law Center. Mm. It's now part of. So they had um, they had the first IP program, IP law. They did. That's my okay. memory of it. I hope I'm not wrong, yeah. but I'm pretty sure yeah. they were the first. We'll have and, a fact checkers. Um, we'll check that before we go live. <laughs> that would be great. And so um, we went there, and it was it was smaller than my high school. It was mm. a tiny school in in a place called Concord, New Hampshire, which was. Mm-hmm just beautiful and idyllic and mm. uh, but it was very small and that's during the campus uh, walkthrough if you will if you can call it a walkthrough it's so small um, that's when I learned what a patent was that's where I learned what a mm. trademark was and I had an idea of what it was but during that walkthrough and sort of introduction that's where I really started to understand it and I wasn't sold I thought, okay, this is pretty cool. Maybe I'll do this. I'm not sure. But after I graduated, I had taken the LSAT. I graduated from RIT. I took the summer off to go spend some time with my grandmother. She had just, in Florida, she had just gotten double knee replacement surgery. Mm -hmm. And so I, I wanted to spend some time with her, help her through physical therapy. And that's what I did. And apparently I was the last person admitted into the class for at Franklin Pierce because the letter came when I was in Florida helping my grandmother get ready and my mom said well you got the letter you're in school starts August 17th what do you want to do hmm. so you, so you <laughs> just applied to that one law school that's it just that one law school and wait I, this, I was, honestly this was this know. was right after you graduated right so you didn't yeah you didn't really get an electrical engineering job no, I mean, I had one okay. ready for me in Rochester right. if I wanted to, but... Yeah, if you wanted to go back, yeah. I, you know, I don't... I I wasn't passionate about anything at that time. I was, 
hmm. you know, people that know me now think, wow, you, you seem to be very type A. How can you not have a past? I, I yeah, have I a was past. just, you took the words out of my <laughs> mouth. You, I was just going to say that. So, so to be honest, um, I never, I've known you for a long time. I never thought about you as type A, which I, I don't use that terminology much anyway. So, but, you know, the the other day we were talking and when you said something, you know, I'm a very type A person. And I remember thinking, really? You know, okay. You know, um, uh, okay. so, so yeah, so that's, well, you know, man, you know, we haven't worked together as such, you know, and so forth. So maybe your, your, um, your professional friends and, and others see that, but, uh, but so would you call yourself competitive? Are you, are you a competitive person? I am. Or and, I should say what, what, Okay. But, but before you were, were you not? <laughs> so were you like, how, how is talk, think about back to school and college and maybe even law school. I mean, were, were you pretty competitive back then? Yeah. I, I liked being, maybe not number one, but I liked being mm-hmm. in the group considered number one. I, I okay. never liked being in, I don't want to say inferior. That's not the right word. I, mm-hmm. in, a, in a B class. I always wanted to be mm-hmm. in the A class. Um, mm-hmm. I may not have been the, in the top of that class, but I always wanted to be in that top 10%. But I always thought I when I when I think of you, I always think about somebody who's very smart and for and to whom um stuff just comes pretty easily because you're pretty smart. Um and you know, and you just kinda go with the flow and you know, the being in the top uh echelon is not really a, a struggle or a challenge, you know, you don't I don't see you like clawing for first place and, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, uh, that's, that's, that's just my impression. So. <laughs> well, that's nice yeah. that you have that impression. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having that profession, that um, impression. I've, I've always thought that I've always struggled for things. Mm. Yeah, I, mm. I, I struggle mm. to find where I, I don't want to say where I belong, but certainly my career path has always been a struggle. I know that. I've no, had I think to that's so yeah. sorry to interrupt, but I think I think those yeah. are two different things. I think those are two different things because I I I I can I can understand that I see that because I think I think you are so easily good at so many different things as clearly you know you talked about you know you're from from going to California to becoming the safety chief to to you know doing so well at the clarinet and then and then giving it up and then you know being good at math but not really caring about it you could have been a doctor and then you ended up being a pretty good engineer but in you know you got a lot of responsibility uh but then you went to law school and you kind of you know and you got admitted to law school to the first IP program no less and even though you were a minority and I'm kind of summarizing your whole um your your whole your whole career story but I, you know i think uh you you have clearly the ability to do many different things and so that's you know that's a challenge to figure out you know what you want to do and so forth uh but but when you decide to do something 
it's not that hard for you to do, is it? Or has it been? Sorry, it's a long. Hmm. No, that's just a lot to take in. I, I don't, I think you're, you may be right on a lot of different points there. The part that I struggle to agree on is, is it easy for me to do it once I figure out what I want to do? Uh, I don't know if it's easier. I'm able to focus more once I know what I want to do. And if I can focus more, I don't know if it's easier. I just do a better job. Mm. And I think that's true of everyone. So I'm trying to mm. find the distinction there. Um, I don't know. It's something I have to thought, think about a little bit more. So, so, um, so you went to law school and, um, you know, um, you went, you, you know, I guess, I guess you've been in the legal profession for a long time and in the interest of time, uh, I kind of want to gloss over that a little bit because uh, we could talk about, we could talk about that and your move to entrepreneurship, but I, I really want to start by, by talking about the fact that you're now out of the legal profession or not really, but you're, well, at least you're, you're, I don't know what describe how where your career is now. Yeah. So, um, great question. Even I, I struggled defining where I am right now too, but mm -hmm. in August of last year, I resigned from the company that I was serving as general counsel for and um, helped them transition until November. And so November of last year, starting November 2nd or November 1st, I started what I like to call my, my personal sabbatical, where mm -hmm. I thought I would just spend some time thinking about what I want to do next, what I really want to do for the second half of my life, I guess, and you know, I, I thought perhaps I could go overseas and and you know serve as a volunteer somewhere, and just, that just didn't um, pan out because of uh, logistics. But so I, I'm uh, completing, you know, a couple months of just being normal. I guess is the right word. Just uh, yeah. you know, focusing on health focusing on um, doing things that I haven't had the chance to do or haven't had the time to do, um, like gardening and cooking and exercising, learning how to swim, Pilates and master class. And um, I've been coloring, believe it or not. Um, I found a mm. coloring book the other day, and so I've been coloring a lot lately just um, doing things that I normally didn't have downtime to do before. And it's been amazing, which sort of balances out the status of the world right now, I think. Ironically, I'm feeling better about where I am today as a person and as a well in, in wellness, but the world's in chaos, it feels like. So I, I feel like the timing's all off. I, I almost feel like I can't enjoy the wellness because of just the chaoticness of the world. So I'm trying to make the best of it. And I, 
I hate to say it, but I'm really enjoying this time right now. And I know a lot of people are suffering, but I feel like I'm, I'm in a good spot. Hmm. So, so talk about leading up to August or November, you know, what, how, how, how did that turn out? You know, how did that happen? Were you feeling like, you know, were you overworked or were you feeling like you've just been at it for a long time and you're ready to take a personal sabbatical? Did you think about that, the personal sabbatical in those, in that, in those terms? How did that happen? Well, uh, it, it wasn't really a, a moment or a series of events. It was a Thursday afternoon and I had just finished a call with the CEO of the company. And I remember uh, calling up my husband, Anand, and saying, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I don't feel... Hmm. A, so it sounds like it was a moment. Maybe, maybe but it was, I've, I've had these conversations with him before, so it's not the first time. But that particular Thursday, it was, it was what, the end of July, I think it was. Yeah, and may have been even July 31st. Maybe this is the actual anniversary of the day because I remember I gave my resignation the next day, August 1st. But Wow. Uh, yeah, this is kind of strange. I hadn't put that together until this moment. But, uh, yeah, I, I I said, okay, well, financially, can can I quit my job? And, you know, I'm just sure, you know, we've got enough savings. We do what you need to do, take a mental break. And, uh what happened? I, I I wasn't overworked. Um, I I feel as if I had a really good team in place. I had a balanced workload. Um, I was traveling a lot, but that wasn't really getting to me physically or mentally either. Um, you know, it was two years after I moved from a place that I had lived for 15 years. And so I was in a new state. I was trying to make new friends, build a community here. And just a lot of things are changing and different. And So this has to do with your move from Dallas to Ohio, or from Texas to Ohio? I think that had a good part. A good part of the decision was because of that. You know, there was a mm-hmm. lot of transition. I wasn't near my network anymore. I wasn't near really good, dear friends. I... I um, yeah, you know, in little things. I, I remember after I had moved to to Ohio, I'd come to Texas for a business trip, and on the weekend, I w- went to a grocery store with my good friend, and the grocery store happened to be Central Market, and there were four or five different varieties of oranges. Oh, good. <laughs> I should I should put this in my sponsorship bit. Plug for Central Market. So insert insert sponsorship message here. <laughs> well, anyways, I so in Ohio, you know, my my husband and I are both foodies. We we enjoy fresh fruit and fresh produce. There wasn't a lot of that here in the winter months. And I remember going to Central Market with my friend Diddy, and she had all her kids in in tow, and I think her mom was there too. Mm. And I basically was pushing the cart, and I looked at her. 
and there's tears rolling down my face. And I said, I can't be here. Really? <laughs> there were over. physically, I, there were literal tears. In the middle of Central Market. You can ask her about this. <laughs> oh, my goodness. She had no idea. And I said, I, I can't be here. This is just too overwhelming. And so I took an Uber because I'd come with her. I took an Uber to another friend's house. And I just spent the next half hour or so just bawling, just, you know, the, having so much in, in, in Texas was, I don't know what it was, but um, I remember Diddy trying to, she told me later that she was trying to explain to her mom why I left abruptly. <laughs> she's like, we, we don't know what's wrong with her. <laughs> she, she misses Texas or something. So That's funny. Anyways. That's funny. Yeah, well, you know what they say, they can take now. the girl out of Texas. They can't take Texas out of the girl. But anyway, that's just a, that's just something I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's true. That yeah. is funny. Hmm. Yeah, so, so, so oh. it sounds like you'd been working towards this for a while, because on July 31st, when you had the call, or whatnot, and the next day you turned in the letter. So it was obviously, you know, you're are you an, you're not an impulsive person, are you? I don't no, I I don't think I am. If there's anything I've done impulsive in my career, that was probably closest to it but I don't think that was impulsive either I think it was thoughtful yeah so it was yeah so it had been you'd been working working on it for a while and then uh and then you decided to turn the letter in and then you transitioned out um so of course the world has changed quite a bit from November so talk about November to March versus March to July because you know the world has changed at least you know, in, in many ways. Uh, so how, I mean, do you, do you see your, your transition out in like, uh, you know, was there a stark difference between where your head was in during the first part and then since the COVID lockdown and all of that? I think the answer to that is no. Um, mm. Someone else asked me the same question. I feel that my transition in the earlier part from November to February or March was preparing me for the lockdown in a weird way. I think if the lockdown abruptly happened, I would go, I would be very stressed. It would be very shocking to my system. But the downtime that happened in November through February, March was was good for me. I, I was able to de-stress. I was able to not look at my phone every five minutes, um, not look at my computer every day, you know, do things that I really wanted to do and decompress. And so, so no, I, I didn't feel much of a difference between the early part and then after when the sh- shutdown happened. The only difference is socializing. Um mm-hmm. Socializing is obviously very difficult for everyone these days. Physical closeness is harder too. But um, I, I felt like, in an odd way, I was prepared for it. So, in August, when you when you turned in your resignation, um, did you have a particular time frame in mind for your personal sabbatical? 
I thought that perhaps a year would be good, a year from the day that I stopped working. Um, mm. At the time, I, you know, I was involved with a huge litigation in Los Angeles, and so um, I couldn't predict when that trial would be over or when it would happen. It kept getting delayed. And so um, I thought perhaps it would be in the October, September range that I would go back to work. If that's what I decided to do. Um, but it looks like it'll be probably the end of the year at this point. Me. Mm. I, I don't know. I haven't decided what to do. So. Are you are you formulating ideas? Are you thinking about where this will lead, what this will lead to? Um, are you exploring different options? Where, where, where's Where's your head at? That's a great question. I have tried to focus on day-to-day. I have not thought about even month-to-month yet, let alone one-year plan, five-year plan, 10-year plan. I haven't thought about that at all. Uh, What's interesting is I feel like I've disconnected from my network but my network hasn't disconnected from me. And while I'm in my personal sabbatical, I've had people reach out to me for opportunities without me reaching out to them. I'm so grateful for that. I just haven't taken any of those opportunities. And some have been pretty cool. I, you know, Maybe that was a mistake. I'll think about it maybe 10 years from now. But I, I'm pretty happy still figuring it out um we'll see what happens i I turned 45 in a couple weeks so (laughs) maybe i should figure it out pretty quick (laughs) was it always easy for you to take things one day at a time is that is that consistent with the person you are or was that an adjustment this has been very not difficult but very different from what I've done before and and I but deliberate though I'm forcing myself to do this because I feel that I I wasn't appreciating day-to-day life and I was just running on a hamster wheel and not looking outside and so I'm trying to look outside more and not so much on the hamster wheel. So what are you doing to force yourself to think day-to-day? You know, I'm focusing on the quote-unquote little things, just, you know, how are my plants doing today and what should I be making for lunch or what what should I be cooking this weekend or how can I reorganize this closet a little bit better or um, what, what, what book should I finish today or so where there, should I go there, for a walk? Isn't there a part of you that, wants to make a three-year strategic plan? No, not at the moment. <laughs> not at the moment. Um, there have been there have been bursts of that the last couple of months, but I just enjoy day-to-day at this, at this point. Hmm. So would you say <laughs> you, you've, you've become, you've become more accustomed to, living day-to-day than you did before? 
Oh, yes, definitely. I can appreciate minutes of the day a little bit more. I feel like time has slowed down a little bit more. I feel that, you know, for example, there are these three hawks or eagles that live near my house. And for two years, I've been, you know, you can see them flying around. You know, I worked from home for a couple of years. So you can see them at lunchtime and they're flying around. But now during the, you know, my personal sabbatical, I know kind of where they're going to be every day. And I, I listen to their sounds. I know what they sound like now. I, I know when they're in distress. I know when they're hunting. I know when they're just perhaps maybe communicating with each other. It, it sounds different. I would have never slowed down to do that before. Mm. And that's fascinating to me at the moment. Have you got yourself a pair of binoculars? No, not yet. <laughs> maybe, they, maybe you should. They, I should. Um, but yeah, they fly over. And just the other day, I was telling Anand that the, the, the wings are gray and the beak looks a little bit orangey than what I remember because they were really close by. And so I, I actually think they're bald eagles, but we'll find out. I should buy a bunch of binoculars and find out. And keep your cats indoors. Yeah, that's the other thing too. We, we they they stay indoors. <laughs> so you're not so you're not like having to, you know, read a book or or do something to help you to to you know meditate and slow down. It, it's it's been pretty natural for you. Natural now after months of practicing. I think is so what did you that what did you that's what I'm saying Michael I'm curious to know how what did you do to help you get here what did you do yeah. how did you did you re well, resort there, to tools I think the biggest tool for me and if she ever hears this she will be surprised to hear it is a woman named Karen Karen is my Pilates instructor and she's also a yoga instructor although I don't take her yoga classes um, I did take them once, but not sure I enjoyed it as much as I did her Pilates classes. But I think she taught me how to breathe, which I don't know if I was if I had those techniques before. The those hmm. breathing techniques have really helped me slow down. Um, and I think the practice of Pilates has also helped me slow down too. I'm more aware of my 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 body and my space, my physical surroundings, and it may be due to the Pilates practice. I, I don't know for sure, but I can tell you that um, Karen has really helped me realize some of that. Maybe she didn't do it deliberately, but certainly I've, I've learned a lot from her. I've been going to her for about two years now, but I think in the last couple of months, she's really helped me a lot. Insert Pilates sponsorship, Karen, information here. <laughs> this is yes. great. And she just, she just started her own business, too, during the pandemic. And so she mm. now offers online classes. And I, and I was... Did you help her with that? 
I did. I helped her a little bit with that with feedback and um, why am I not surprised? She's she's, she's phenomenal. She's great. Hmm. And how has this all been on Anand? You know, how how's is he seeing the new improved you with bleach? You know, like uh, with the new. You know, is he what, what what is his take on it? What if I asked him? What would he say? I think he would say that all the day-to-day stress that I had before, probably he has now. (laughs) Uh I don't know if it's translated to him now. Um, I think of me, he would say that I'm certainly more connected to home life than I was before. Yeah, I was so busy before. I hate that word busy, but I was so busy before you know, traveling and working, he would come home at maybe 5.30 in the evening. And when I was working from home for my former company, I would be in my home office and the only light in the house would be the desk lamp. And he'd come home to a dark house. And he he would ask, have you not left your office all day? (laughs) You know, Hmm. that's the kind of intensity that I had had Hmm. back then. And I, I, I think he sees a difference in, in that, and that I'm more connected to the home. And in a way, we're all forced to be in that position right now with the pandemic, but I, I feel more connected to the home, which I, I think he feels is probably a, a positive change. Hmm. Why, do you, why do you hate the word busy? I, you know, I... We always kind of throw that around saying we're busy and I look back on it and I use that word a lot in my career and day-to-day life and I just we're never that busy I know we're we always feel that our calendar is full and but we're really not that busy and we can always make time for what's important I didn't do that and I should have maybe and I I know that was probably something that I could improve on going forward, but um, I just, that word doesn't sit right with me anymore when, when people, and I almost feel that when other people use it and I hear it, I question that now. What do you mean you're busy? That's not good. I'm, I'm working on that, but I I just don't like the word. I, I always feel like it's, it's something that people throw around, but maybe doesn't have as much of a stronger meaning to it. Like it's a crutch or a cop-out. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, you know, a cultural norm now. Everyone's just busy. Mm -hmm. I don't, I I just, Mm. I'm going to try not using that word going forward, no matter what I do in my 10 year plan, if I ever get one. Mm. Maybe. Yeah, I think maybe it's a cultural norm. Like, uh, it's it makes people value you more if you say that you're busy as opposed to if you say that you're not. Yeah, I, that's I think that's the right. expectation. Yeah, so, see, you're much more eloquent at that than I am. But yes, that's exactly. <laughs> hmm. That's interesting. So, what is? Uh, the biggest thing you've discovered about yourself since November 2nd that you didn't know that you wouldn't have expected anything, any deep insights into 
oh my gosh, I never thought I like hawks or eagles. <laughs> um, I never thought I could sit still. Hmm. I I think I can do that now. And appreciate it. I mean, when I sat still before, I felt, well, this is a waste of time. Why am I sitting? You know, I was always thinking about things. But now I can actually sit still. Hmm. That's good. That's good. Um, you know, I had a, I went back when I had an office. I used to have a, a thing uh, on on my wall. And I think I probably still have it tucked away, stored away somewhere. But it said something like, stop uh, stop running after the thing you're chasing and let the thing you're chasing, no, slow down and let the thing you're chasing come back and catch up with you. I'm not, I'm not saying it exactly <laughs> like it should be, but, you know, you, you can kind of picture it in a circle. You know, stop chasing after this thing and just slow down and let the thing that you're chasing come back and catch up with you. Um, I think it would be it would be a good uh, thing if you if you had a circle to visualize it. You know, mm. but, so um, I always found that to be kind of um, inspirational and uh, allowed me to slow down a little bit. Um, and I like and I think that. About, mm, so. Maybe that's the maybe that's the lesson. Well, Bhavani, this has been fascinating. I know we didn't go through a lot more stuff than we could have, but I think I think um, I really appreciate your patience and your being flexible through all the technical hassles and your um, talking to me and um, and kind of exploring some of these. Um, kind of mental areas, if you will, with your personal sabbatical. I've just thoroughly enjoyed it and want to thank you so much. Thank you, Raj. You've given me so much more to think about. Oh. <laughs> and one day I hope to um, to uh, interview you. I think it would oh. be fascinating. Yeah, I think I think I think that'd be interesting. And and when when, you know, my podcast is is huge and has you know 20 million followers i'll come back and interview you for the part two of what bhavani did next (laughs) it may be something mundane has started her second vegetable garden (laughs) there you go hey you know what so be it (laughs) so be it (laughs) so awesome thank you so much all right see you soon raj bye all right bye I hope this was as much fun for you as it was for me. Thank you for joining me on my personal journey to connect more deeply with my friends while dealing with the challenges of social distancing. Be sure and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode and click on the link on anchor.fm to drop me a voice message letting me know what you think.